Man, that is some good stuff. It's good to worship together with you this morning. Um, I want to start off with a passage of scripture that I'd like for us to just have bouncing around in our minds as I go through the message, and we're going to revisit it at some point uh, as we go through this. It's from Psalm 139. This has always been one of my favorite psalms. In fact, in my old Bible, I had a a uh, little sticker next to it, a little like one of those school stickers that with the, the shiny stars that you put on good papers. I had that right next to a couple of key verses in this, in this chapter in the psalm. It reads like this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, and even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 14. We've been in this, in this series on a different psalm, Psalm 46. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but this series has just been kind of rocking me. Uh, last week especially, we went on this, uh, talked about going on this little fast from screen time stuff. And, and maybe, hopefully, your, your phone habits maybe changed a little bit. And, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, by Sunday night for me, uh, my world was different, and so it was, it was wild. It's this incredible week uh, on, on being still. So if, if you're just joining us for the series, we've been in Psalm 46, verse 10 for four weeks. This is the fifth week now. One verse, and, and the, what we've been doing is we've been taking this verse, be still and know that I am God, and we've just been dropping a word off of it every week and then taking that phrase. So it was be still and know that I am God, and then be still and know that I am, and then be still and know, and then be still with was last week. And this week, I only have one word, <laughs> be. I, I got to ask you, how do you do a message on one word? That's, a, that's the question that I've been racking my mind with. I've known that this, this week was coming and I'm like, man, that's a, that's a tall order. This one word, be. What do you, what do, you do with that? And I was thinking about um, some of the things that we do with this word, and one of the things uh, that, that we do with it is when we're a kid early on, maybe you re- you've heard the phrase before, uh, or, or you asked the question, or you've been asking your kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and there's this, this idea that when we grow up, we will want to be something, right? There's this 
something that we'll want to be. And, and usually it's some kind of career, like a, a superhero, you know, or something like that, that you can, you can sink your teeth into and save the world and stuff like that. I, I don't know about you guys, but I always wanted to be Superman or a baseball player, right? One of the two. And either one would be fine if I could work out one of those things. And, and a lot of us, we grow up and we recognize that we, we are asked this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and it begs the kind of like, like this idea that, that there is something for you to be. And I, I remember growing up and, you know, people kidded you with that kind of a question. And, and, and as you grow up, you kind of realize, sorry if I'm bursting anybody's bubble, uh, you can't be a superhero. <laughs> like, that's just not going to work. And, and a ball, professional ball player is probably way out there on the horizon for most of us too. And so uh, after I had laid those things down, I remember, I was probably in junior high, maybe high school, um, early high school, uh, I remember being in a particular classroom at Lapella High School and thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to be when I grow up. And a lot of my friends had already decided this and they had figured this out. And, and this became sort of a crisis of identity for me. What, what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do? And, and, you know, my dad was this like computer graph design kind of person. And I didn't have any idea like what that actually meant, but I thought maybe I'll do that. I don't know. And uh, so I took lots of design and drafting kinds of classes. And, and it was the, really this crisis of identity for me. Um, and I wonder if somewhere below the surface, I started wonder, wondering if just being me was enough. You with me on this? Like, does this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Does it maybe even beg that other question, is, is, is just being enough? Is that enough? Or do I need to at some point add something to my life in order to be valuable, to have some kind of worth, to, to have some kind of self-worth. And it's probably, this question is probably uh, something that all of us fall into at some point, uh, is just being enough. And so maybe you've done this, I've probably done this in my life, we start adding things to the be in hopes that if we add just enough stuff, we will eventually be worth something that means something, right? And so, I, bear with me today. We're going to do a little algebra equation, all right? Uh, so, B plus, may, well, what are some of the things that we would add in there? Maybe uh, our career. And, uh, like, what would a formula be for our career? Like, how much money we would be able to make? Uh, maybe plus the difference that we could make in the world? Uh, because, we, you know, we want to make some, some money to put some food on the table, make some difference in the world. Maybe you'd say that's over the time that it takes us to invest in that area. So this is your career formula, uh, right? So, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe it would look something like this. Maybe you would write your own differently. And maybe you want to not just have a career, but you want to be really successful at it. And so you want to square that thing, baby. You know, like you want to write, oh, that's actually, that's not enough. We're going we're gonna to triple that thing or maybe even just do this, right? Uh, I want to be the most successful whatever it is that I've ever been, that, that anybody's ever been, and unless I meet that, I don't know that I've, I've quite made it. Maybe, so maybe we add a career out here, and this is a part of our value, the way we see ourselves. Maybe uh, relationships become important to us, and how many friends we have starts to make a difference in how we view ourselves. Or maybe our family 
relationships, how many kids we're able to have, and how, what, my, what my spouse is like, and whether I got married, or how many roommates I'm able to have, or who will sit with me at the lunch table in the cafeteria, you know, like, like all of these things over time, depending on what stage of life we're on in our life, they, they feed into how we view our worth. Maybe we would also uh, throw in an I in here, and that stands for image. And you could put all sorts of things in your image uh, area. You could put your looks. You could put maybe your clothing. You could put your, um, your house, maybe. Your automobiles. All the things that go together to make up your image in your life. Maybe that's a part of how you add value to who you are. And then you maybe put all of this over... A fo- some kind of philosophy of life. And your philosophy of life is, you know, like, I, I feel like um, Christianity is my philosophy of life, or just being a really good person is my philosophy of life. And you, again, want to be really good at whatever your philosophy of life is. And so we're going to put some kind of variable in here that you want to, like, be exponentially good at whatever kind of philosophy of life that you have. Now, do you guys see uh, maybe how this works, right? So we've got uh, relationships. We've got image, whoops, and then philosophy of life down there at the bottom. There's something else that makes a difference in how we view our value, and it's a subtraction, and it's all of our failures. That's a big one, right? Um, Maybe you have a lot. Our shortcomings, the things we don't like about ourselves, the things we wish we could hide in the mirror or we wish nobody knew or the things that we uh, want to shove under the rug, our sins, those kinds of things that sub- feel like they subtract from us. And somehow, all of this equation equals our self-worth. could be formulated differently for you. Maybe you'd put some different things in there, but I'd wager that somewhere down below your maybe conscious thought, there is some kind of formula going on with how you view your value as a person. How valuable, how much worth you have. And so maybe you'd put some different things like how, much, how many accomplishments I had or, or what my status is on, in my neighborhood or how many degrees I've got behind my name or how much knowledge I've got or how much money I have or the size of my bank accounts and all of these kinds of things. And we could throw all sorts of things in there. But here's the thing. If any of these variables at any time don't measure up to the way we wish they were, or if any of these variables take a hit at some point in your life. Let's say you lose your job, or you don't get the job that you hoped you would get, or you get a divorce, or you get old, <laughs> uh, and your health starts failing, or you know, you, what, whatever it is, you lose all your hair, you know, uh, something like that. Don't laugh. Uh, <laughs> You know, let's say, let's say this, this philosophy of life falls apart at some point and you start to question everything, you know. Um, 
the reality is there are an exponential number of things that could drag that equation down to negatively impact our self-worth so that we feel less, uh, like we're less worthy or like we have less value as a person. But here's the truth and the good news that I want to share today. God's love doesn't come to us if we get enough value added to our equation. Let me say that one more time. God's love doesn't come to you and me if we get enough value added to our equation. If we get it just so and we, we avoid all the pitfalls and the drags on our equation and, and we put everything together just right, God's love doesn't come to us in all of this equation. God's love comes to us at the B. All of those things that you and I try and stack onto our life to help us feel like we've made it or we've hit a mark or we've added enough to the world or we'll be remembered or whatever it is for you. God's love doesn't come to us in any of those things. It comes to us at the place of our very being, our existence. You as a person stripped away of the entire equation. That's where the love of God meets you. And this is the story that the scripture speaks to us resoundingly, like with a megaphone over and over again. In almost every story in the scripture, we find over and over, and, and you can really stretch it all the way back to the creation account with the reality that God's love meets us before we've done anything. God speaks creation into existence. And you're familiar, I've talked about this several times with the rhythm and the cadence of, of the creation account. God created uh, light and darkness and separated them in and, uh, and day one, and, and God saw that it was good, right? And then we go to the next day, and God separates the water and all these things. And every day, at the end of every day of creation, God stands back from what he's created, and he says, it was good. Psalm 139 reminds us, your works are wonderful, right? It pulls this from that creation. God stands back. God makes good stuff. And then we get to the end of day six, and God creates Adam and Eve, and then he stands back for a moment and looks at all that he had made, including the people. And he says, not, at, not only is it good, it is very good. Very good. Adam and Eve were standing there naked. And this was before they had added anything to their equation. And God looked at them in love and said, it's very good. It's good. God's love met them at the B. Now, unfortunately, uh, the B didn't last very long. And one of the first things they added was a, a failure. You know, you turn the page and we find that Adam and Eve uh, introduced this fall. And you might think at that moment that God would clean his hands of these people. That God would say, well, I loved you. Well, I, I did at one time before you messed up and now we can't do this anymore. We can't have this relationship. And yes, there are some consequences for sin and disobedience to God. But where sin increased in Adam and Eve we find that it was not just an opportunity for consequences, but it was an opportunity for God to show his steadfast, passionate, pursuing kind of love. So Paul says where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The, the, the fall actually became an opportunity for God to show his deep 
love for us. And so, from there all the way through the scripture, we find the redemption plan of God being worked out in page after page of God pursuing the people that he loves, regardless of what they built up or what they destroyed. The love of God was constant. It was steadfast. It was that Hebrew term, this chesed, you know, that you have to spit when you say it. It's like this love that won't go away because it doesn't have anything to do with your equation, but it's just God loves you because he made you. We go all the way through. And God would spend the rest of this age working to redeem and save, showing his love to us even at our point of weakness in Jesus. God takes on flesh, moves in among us, takes on all of our failures and everything else that we had built up and thought was so wonderful. And he, he takes it all of himself and removes all of those things on the cross and the impact of all those things and, and the consequences. And and puts us back in right relationship with God. And God so loved the world that he did that. God's love comes to us at the bee. Now, Jesus told these three stories in Luke chapter 15 about lost things and how incredibly valuable they were even if they were lost, and even if their life had gone completely off the rails. And he speaks about the heart of a father in heaven who just won't give up on them. These stories about a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. And Jesus tells these stories about an equation that just went way off the map. It was a terrible equation, you know. And yet the love of God just couldn't give up on the bee, on the person. And so he kept coming after them. And, and, and Jesus tells these stories where you and I are so intrinsically valuable as the beloved creations of God that if just you went missing and everybody else stayed home, God would go out looking for you. These are what the stories are, are meant to convey when Jesus talks about the woman who loses the coin and, and then the man, who, the shepherd who loses a sheep and, and then the father who lost his son who went off. And, and, and Jesus says, you are so intrinsically valuable because you are a beloved creation of God that if you got lost and everybody else stayed home, God would come looking for you until he found you. Many people spend their entire lives looking for a love like this, building up their equation in hopes that one day they'll be valuable enough to deserve that kind of love. But you already had it the day you were conceived in your mother's womb. Psalm 139, 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well.
praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made today. Simple. But we don't do it very often. Would you allow God to meet you at the B? At the place of your existence and say to you, I love you. You. You can add or subtract anything to your equation. It's not going to change that fact right there. Allow yourself to be loved, to be accepted, embraced, found, valued, alive and gifted just as you are and just be there. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to give you just a moment to do that and allow the love of God to wash over you. Maybe you've got some things that you want to lift up to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been trying to earn this or that I've been letting some failures get in between us. I'm going to allow you to meet me with your love at the place of my very existence. Take a few moments. and Spend some time in prayer there to God. Father, we thank you that no matter what gets added to or subtracted from our life, your love is constant and steady and true. That this love that many of us spend our whole lives searching for was a gift to us as we were being knit together by you in our mother's womb. God, let that be a great comfort a great security for us. Uh, let that fill us with a peace and a grace that can help us navigate through any season of life and anything that comes towards the equation of our life. Help us remember that our self-worth is not equal to that equation. But our worth comes to us because we are a creation of you that we're a creation of your love. And God, let us rest in that. Let us be still and know that you are God. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Everybody said, I want to give you a blessing for today. It's from Ephesians chapter 3. And then we're going to move out into the parking lot and baptize Carter. I pray, won't you stand and receive this? I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure with the fullness of God. In the name of the Father and Son and the Spirit. Amen.